from the creators who brought you RuPaul's Drag Race and Million Dollar Listing. This is World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome to the Wow Report on Radio Andy. I am Tom Campbell. I'm the Chief Creative Officer at World of Wonder. Uh, here joined this week is he's here every week is James St. James and he's showing off his party monster t-shirt if you're watching us on YouTube available uh, at DragCon. you know I like to as I like to say James is a club kid turned best-selling author and Woo! the editor of the wow report and our fearless leader Fenton Bailey is in transit unable to join us um, uh, so we have uh, in front of the camera behind the mic full-time Blake Jacobs our, our MVP, our producer, our, our everything. Um, it's great to have you here, Blake. Um, Love you. So, you know, just for those of you listening for the first time, uh, James, our leader, Fenton, is gone. James is always cranky. Blake's new to this job, and I'm really tired because it's late at night here. I'm going to roll How dare you? How dare you say I'm cranky? <laughs> I've had enough of this crap. <laughs> I won't put up with it. I think the show is best when you're cranky, so I thought I would just provoke you at the very top. Anyway, let's get to business. Every week, we count down the top 10 things that make us go, wow, in pop culture, and we're going to get to it with number 10. Number 10. Now, I have a question. We're all, I want to say we're all lifers. We've all been at World of Wonder, which is a great TV film production company for a long time, working for Fenton and Randy Barbado. Um, James, how long have you worked at World of Wonder? Well, it's interesting. I th- this is a whole topic here because oh, I've no. been associated with World of Wonder for almost thirty years now with Party Monster and everything. I have worked consistently since yes. two thousand and eight, but there was a two year period where I did your job and I got fired for it because I did your job very poorly. And they don't <laughs> they won't ever count that when they're saying, "And you've been here for fourteen years." I've actually been here for sixteen years. James, it's counted here on this show. 16 years. Blake, how long have you been at World of Wonder? 15 years. 15 years. And I am in my 16th year. There you go. So, we're all, yeah, we're all. So, and we have a reason. If, if, good, if, if good publicity is a reason to celebrate, we have a reason to celebrate. Because Fast Company makes a list of the most progressive, fabulous companies in the world in all different medias. And it almost feels like I'm being pranked. But we were the second media company. The, 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 the number most, two. You were number two. Number two. Number one, just to give you context, was Warner Media. You know, it's <laughs> your things like that nature. And number three, you know, licking our heels, the New York Times. Ever heard of them? <laughs> Barely. No. There's an incredible article in Fast Company that I kind of wanted to read along with you guys, but I won't bore everybody, but it's, it's just a great interview with Randy and Fenton and just about how they started the company, how they always believed that niche was the new mainstream, which is true. Mm-hmm. Um, I met Randy and Fenton in 92 when I was an executive at MTV and Ann Blanchard, their agent, William Morris. This is a dull story, but when I worked at MTV, it was the f- first time anyone worked from the West coast in programming. And I didn't know when I took the job that they didn't like most of the company didn't want programming in 1992 and, and they didn't pay commissions to agents. So agents were like, I was dead to agents. These are things you should ask in your interview before you take the job. Anyway, Ann Blanchard was ahead of her time. She brought me all of her great up and coming, uh, you know, uh, talent because she knew that one day they'd be huge. And 
I met Randy and Fenton. And I thought at the time that they were way too far left of MTV that I love them as people and friends that became friends with them, but I could never hire them or work with them. Well, <laughs> how the tables have changed. <laughs> I work for them. And, and they're number two, the number two media company, according to fast company. Uh, um, amazing. And, and- amazing. I mean, I remember them as club DJs on the fourth floor of dance Ateria, And with their band pop, chart, the fabulous pop charts, when we called them, uh, the poor man's tears for fear. Oh, I'm so glad Fenton's not here. <laughs> I think I've said that to his face. <laughs> um, so how far they have come, and God bless them for employing us and for it for employing so many people and for being at the forefront of so much of yeah. you know the change that has happened over the past 30 years. It's just it's amazing. They're amazing and it's amazing to be a part yes. of. And, and a lot of the article, I mean it focuses on everything, but it focuses on drag race and the phenomenon and the international, you know, there's a Paris, there's there's all these different permutations, which is amazing. And so But um, it, what's so amazing is that the the success of drag race and the continued success of drag race means that they can also still do their niche things and they can do their Maplethorpe documentaries and they can do their, you know, yeah. point around it and all that, you know. So yeah, you, you don't get rich making documentaries and they've made like 35 or 40. <laughs> you know, some they're of the best of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Party Monster! Party Monster! Woo! So congratulations to Randy Barbado and Fenton Bailey for being this we're number two this year media company and fast company next year number one okay okay um let's uh move on to number nine number nine i went to the movies and i saw the batman which is the best movie i think i've seen in 10 years it is absolutely fantastic robert pattinson is the best batman ever and i'm glad fenton isn't here because he would say adam west and i would have to argue with him about it um well you know he was overstimulated by adam west (laughs) yes but it is it's you know it's three hours long and it's dark and it's gloomy and it is cyberpunk and it is um but it's also very funny and very like i mean camp in a way that is like just kooky kooky clamp um like I said, Robert Pattinson is—he's like sensuous. He is so hot, and he's so emo, and he's so damaged. And you think he's even more damaged than the villains that he is going after. And like I said, just your type, James. Just your just, type. No, he is. There's and there's enough shirtless scenes to keep me happy. There's enough butt shots to keep me happy. I was right there the whole time. Um, Zoe Kravitz is so beautiful. She is. The best of Lisa Bonet and the best of Lenny Kravitz jammed into one person. And you cannot take your eyes off of her the entire time. Like I said, it was, it's done. It looks like David Fincher. It looks like seven. It looks like, um, and they did that by running the, the digital through a film projector and then copying it again, which is how they made both Dune and seven, which is, it's sort of this weird process called, um, oh, and then they scan it back into the digital, and it's and then they do a bleach bypass. I don't know what any of this means, but a bleach bypass is what gives it the look. It sounds um, like a turdurkin to me. Well, it looks like a Nine Inch Nails video is what it does, like old Marilyn Manson or Nine Inch Nails or something like that. Like close up. Um, the cinematography is so 
beautiful three scenes and this is not a spoiler because it's a three-hour movie and uh you know you when you get to it you'll know what i'm talking about but the first one is there's this chase scene with the penguin and it's one of the best chase scenes ever put on film it's so fabulous and at one point the penguin's car flips over and you see from the penguin's point of view as the batman comes out of the fire and is walking towards the car but because it's from the penguin's point of view it's upside down so the film is upside down and you see the batman coming from the sky walking upside down towards the car and it's so good it's so beautiful the other scene is batman and catwoman are on the roof of a building and they're having a moment and it is so sensual and so sexual. And people were like literally groaning and like uh, orgasming in the audience as this happened. And you see it against the backdrop of dawn uh, on the skyline of Gotham City. And it is so beautifully shot. I've never seen a kiss so beautifully shot. Like it, it, it will stay with you forever and ever and ever. It's just unbelievable. The third scene, and this is at the end, Batman, there's a rotunda that's flooding and he's got to save all the people that are in the rotunda. He's got to lead them to safety. And there's this overhead shot and he lights a red flare and you see the flare light up in its overhead and he's leading a crowd of people through the water. And it is one of the most beautiful shots ever put on film. And I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. It is so like everyone in the audience is just like, oh, you uh, make it sound like an art film versus it just is. An, another. So much of it is so arty and so beautifully done that if nothing else, you could plug your ears and not pay any attention to the plot and just look at the moving pictures. No one has come closer to convince me to see this movie than you have. But it is three hours. Does it need to be three hours? Well, that's the thing, because I, you know, notoriously have a bladder the size of a pea, a prostate the size of a pea, and I cannot sit for three hours. But I was there by God. I went to the bathroom once and I, thinking back on it, there really is nothing you can cut. Like everything needs to be there, except for the very end. There are seven endings and one of them is uh after everything has been tied up and the Riddler goes to jail, he's in jail and next to him, I'm just, whatever, whatever. I'm, I'm just teasing. The, the fact that Batman criminals go to jail is not a spoiler. <laughs> yes. So he's in jail and his next door neighbor is the Joker, which sets up for the fact that the Joker is going to be in the next one. And that you could have done away with any of that. And then there's a whole scene of Batwoman or Batman and Catwoman and they're, blah, 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 I love you. Blah, blah, blah. And it's like, whatever. <laughs> but other well, that's than that, excellent. It's just fantastic. It is so good. And I'm sorry. The I new Batman film is in a theater near you. And James St. James says, go and luxuriate in the beauty of it. And bring an empty Gator Bay bottle to pee if you Just get a catheter. Just That's what I'm doing from now. Just <laughs> catheter up. <laughs> Cath for the movies. The movies are back and so is my catheter. All right. Thank you, James. Let's move on now to number eight. Number eight. Well, um, I'm a big fan of Marina and the Diamonds, formerly known as Marina and the Diamonds, now just Marina. I've seen her. But wait, three- but what happened to the Diamonds? Was it yes. like was it like this the Supremes? Did did Marina go rogue? I think it was more like um They just grew in different directions. Yeah, well, I don't think uh, there really was and the Diamonds. It's just like her backing band, but it doesn't matter who they are, so 
<laughs> we've just, ruined the story. No we've ruined the momentum of your story, Blake. I'm so I know, sorry. I'm sorry, but this, so there are no disgruntled diamonds out there who are like going to sue her. Mm-mm, no. Okay. Um. So I've seen Marina three times. I saw her at the Greek a couple of times, I believe. But this time, she performed at the YouTube Theater, which I had no idea what it was, but it's part of SoFi Stadium. Our new where the, stadium. Where the, um, the Super Bowl was. In Inglewood, where the Super Bowl was. Um, the stadium was amazing. Like, Is it big? It's huge. You like walk up these steps, and there's like a big courtyard, and you can kind of see into the stadium. And then the YouTube theater is over to the other side on the right. I had no idea. I know. Well, I think it's like pretty much brand new. Like a few people have performed there, but this was one of the first shows. And the theater itself was really nice as well. So, so you weren't in the Super Bowl area. This is, no, this is a, not a in the stadium. Area. It's like a theater that's it's a smaller of- theater relative now, to the is stadium. It, is it comparable in size to the Greek or, or has she expanded her fan base? It's comparable in size to like Nokia Live downtown. Yep. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, it's like that. Question: Since it's the YouTube theater, did ads pop up every time at the beginning of a song? Did ads pop up? <laughs> they didn't, but they had logo YouTube theater logos everywhere. Everywhere. But, um, guess who the opening was? The opening act. Who? Pussy Riot. I, you know, first of all, I don't know if you were going to talk about this, but but God bless the girl from Pussy Riot who has donated a lot of money to Ukraine and has been helping to to. Remind people of the history of Pussy Riot. Well, they're in case they don't know. a Russian band that has been arrested several times under Putin because of obscenity or whatever. And I'm not even sure if they have their own songs. Like most of the show, they were just dancing around like the club kids would to like a <laughs> DJ set, which I loved because it was like Charlie XCX and like all these other like dirty but it was really fun. And then they came out with Marina and did Marina's song, Purge the Poison, with her. They also uh, did, like, the Ukrainian anthem. They said nice. that it was for Ukraine. And they spoke out and said, fuck Putin. And it was amazing. I loved That's the show. Cool. Yeah. Marina was amazing. She did songs from all eras of her career so now, okay but but i could not tell you a marina song to save my life give me give me the high give me the highlight what is her bit what is her big hit um i think she's bigger in the uk than she is here so okay. i would say her big hit would be like how to be a heartbreaker or bubblegum bitch oh, oh bubblegum bitch of course now, bitch. <laughs> prima but, donna now, when she sings Bubblegum Bitch, does everybody know the words and sing along? Oh, yeah. Okay, so she has hardcore devoted fans like you. Oh, yeah. Doesn't that freak you out that there's a gazillion artists and music and genres that used to feel like you were on top of everything, and now you go to a stadium, and it's like, oh, my God, I need to like play some clips well, The, of the right fact away. that there are marina heads out there, like I'm, marina maniacs, yeah. and like I, they, they know every song and follow her around the country, I think. Not to mention the people that still say the Diamonds were better than her. You know what I'm saying? There's still <laughs> yes. those people. Well, my roommate, Steven, did say, he tweeted, I think we're like the oldest first people here by decades. So. <laughs> well, good for you. Keep it young. But marina is about our age. It's not like she's young so whatever she it was a, a good she's a beauty too oh the one thing that really sucked about this uh whole experience parking do you know how much it was for us to park at sofa stadium 
how much? How much? Forty dollars. Wow. That was more than I paid for the damn ticket. Did they wash your car? <laughs> no, you don't even get to park inside. Well, is there I any other way to get there, really? Like, is there going to be a subway there? I, not really. I like looked up like how to get home on my phone, like using transit, and it was like walk fifteen minutes, take this bus, then walk. You know, I was like, no. Nah. Well, I remember for Super Bowl, they were selling um, parking pet tickets or they were selling parking spaces for like $10,000 and things well, like that. Well, when we were shocked when the girl said 40, she was like, it's actually cheap during like football games. It's the parking there is $180. Wow. But really, I mean, you could take a lift for probably 30 or 40 or something. Well, it's on the other side of LA too. It's like down by LAX. So it's yeah, like, exactly. Ugh. So, yeah, they get you coming Adventures or going. at the YouTube Theater. Thank you, Blake, very much. It's time to move on. Uh, we're going to take a little break. When we come back, we're going to continue our countdown. Blake, do you have a plug? Do you have trivia? I'm literally leaning on you this week. I do. I have um, a dra- DragCon UK announcement. Yes. RuPaul's DragCon UK is officially returning January 6th, 7th, and 8th next year. 2023. Yep. It's going to be at XL London, the new home. And it'll be the biggest and fiercest year yet. First time it's three days in the UK. It was so much fun last time. And the the one in, in LA is happening in May. It's just, I think everyone's so eager to get together and to be with each other. I, I think they're going to be really successful, fun events. So um, if you're in, the, if you want to do uh, LA, do it LA in May. If you want to do UK, it's in when? January sixth, seventh, and eighth. First yep. year. And our the tickets for UK go on sale on May fifteenth. You go to uk. Oh, you're a good plugger. Mm-hmm-hmm. Um, we do have a trivia question. Um, I do have a little trivia question. What is significant about this weekend? a couple of things Hmm. all right the answer to that question more as we return uh after these messages uh this is the wow report on radio andy you're listening to world of wonders wow report things that make us go wow welcome back to the wow report here on radio andy i'm tom campbell here with james st james and blake jacobs fenton's away for the week but will be returning to us shortly uh right before the break uh, Blake, who comes up with the best trivia. I don't know how he does it. He uh, asks us a question. That question was... What is significant about this weekend? It's a couple of things. Well, I know that we're turning the clocks back. That's one. Yeah. Actually, and we're what? springing forward. Don't fuck people up. Oh, 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 God. Oh, my forward. God. Oh, my God. Spring forward. And then is it the solstice? No. James? Is it our Saturn return? <laughs> well, besides it being my 15th year anniversary of moving to LA, oh, it's also. Oh, well, I, def- I should have known I have that. So significant to so many people. Yeah. It oh. is also the two year anniversary of everything going into lockdown. Oh, uh, oh that's a good one. Yeah. yeah. I remember it like it was yesterday. Oh, my goodness. Right. It was. I remember it was like March 13th, Friday the 13th, that our offices have not have not been the same since. Yeah. I was in the UK then, and I'm in the UK now. Some things don't change. Um, well, let's continue with our countdown, shall we? 
coming well, in. Well, hold on one second. Hold on one second. Oh, because oh, oh. two years ago this weekend, I before the, right before this weekend, I was yelling at everyone saying, it's a coming. It's a coming. The COVID's coming. And nobody believed me. And this this week right now, I'm saying Omicron BA2 is coming. Omicron BA2 is coming. You shouldn't lift your mask mandates. You shouldn't lift your vaccine mandates. And nobody believed me then. And nobody believes me now. So two years from now, I will have the last laugh. Yeah, you're always rotten, Ostra, dumbass. <laughs> also known as Mr. Sunshine. Thanks, James. <laughs> now, with your permission, we'll move on to number seven. I got something else. Number seven. Just keeping track of award season and things. Um, you know, we have a little skin in the game for, for Jessica Chastain as Best Actress for the Oscars. She played Tammy Faye. Not only did we love her performance truly, madly, deeply, think it's really brave and amazing of her and her body of amazing work. It's the most amazing so far. And of course, Randy and Fenton did do the documentary, The Eyes of Tiffay, which turned into the movie and it's based on that and their executive producers. And we really are about, you know, just pampering ourselves and self-promoting, things like that, you know, making some content now and then. Um, over the week, last weekend, Taylor Page and another lauded movie, Zola, won at this at the uh, independent spirit awards so that kind of um jessica won uh the sag awards and now taylor has won the indie so it's up for grabs by the way i wouldn't be angry if taylor page won an oscar either she's an amazing uh is she is she even nominated or no i don't think she's nominated i don't think she's nominated so even better that she got it zola is by uh janixa nixon who's an incredible director who may is be making about a cameo on, zola who is it what is it about Oh, Zola, we've talked about it. It's got um, Elvis's granddaughter in it. Oh, yeah. Riley Keough. Yeah. And Taylor yeah. Page. And it's kind of like, a, 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 what was it's that? Based um, on the series of tweets by Zola. Oh. And, and so T.S. Madison has a, has a really a nice, juicy appearance. Okay. And I haven't watched it yet. I'm so embarrassed. We had Janixa Nixon, the director, on, uh, we, spoiler alert, she's coming up on Drag Race this season as a, as a, as a judge. But... Um, I tried to watch it here from the UK and I, I can't make anything work. So I, it's this, this is one where not being in the theater makes it hard. I have a login for you and it has Zola on it. I'll, I'll pass it along. Ooh, I think we're just had a little illegal exchange of information there right here on the line. Thank you very much. Um, this, I just want to point out and that this, but um, in the original documentary and portrayed on the film is a, a, a gentleman by the name of Steve Peters, who, um, Tammy Faye herself had on PTL on this Christian, right? And he was a man who was suffering with AIDS in the eighties. And it's one of the most poignant parts of the documentary. It's one of the most poignant parts of the movie. And Jessica brought the man. He lived, he survived AIDS. See, Peters, he's still with us. And she brought him to the Oscar luncheon. And I think that's just fantastic. And I realized, cause I'd see, he was at the screening of, uh, in, in LA that I got to go to. We were outside. And um, there was a moment where he and the House of uh, Avalon and us were all like talking. It was just like, oh, my God, the future, the past all together. You know, here we are in a parking lot sur having survived. And I remember, and this is such a sad memory. I don't know. I have to talk about it. But it's just is um, I, I remember I, I met a, a friend of mine I've known forever, Dave Snyder, when I was at HBO in, the, in like 1990. And he wanted me to see a stage show like on Vermont at the. I can't remember what, what the little tiny theater and it was called AIDS us too. And it sounds so corny and you want to make fun of it, but it was people, Alison Angram was in it and it was, and I realized Steve Peters, the same man was in it and it was monologues about AIDS and their lives and being really honest about it. And 
uh, Allison Anger had lost uh, one of the cast members of Little House, which went early to AIDS. As we talked about losing him and people, their anger. And at one point in the thing, and I don't know, I'm usually not such a drama queen, but I, around AIDS, for some reason, I have so much built-in anxiety and PTS. Is like at, at the end of the show, they said, everybody in the theater, tiny theater, everyone in the audience, name off people you've lost from AIDS. And there would be like this five minute chant of people just naming off names. And it was just like the most powerful thing, a theater experience. And um, anyway, so I realized I knew Steve from that. So I had that sense of memory and tear up. So I had to share it with you guys. And, uh, you know, so uh, um, Jessica Chastain, I'm I'm so glad she brought him to the luncheon. I'm glad his story uh, continues. I'm glad he survived. I'm just, you know, just is with horrible things are happening in this world. Just the, the the kindness and the survival and the tenacity of the human spirit. Um, I look for it everywhere I can. So there you have it. Corny, I, I, corny, corny. I'm very excited. I I hope I see. I think that Jessica has some momentum going behind her, uh, going into the Academy Awards. I I would be happy with her or Olivia Coleman. I'm you know I I can either one. I'm excited about the only one that I really want to win. The only one that I'm really excited about. I really need Cody Smith McPhee to win uh, for Power of the Dog. And um, other than that, I I'm, but I am I'm looking forward to this. Yeah. this year's Oscar. And I always say and listen, I love talking about this and who got robbed and all that kind of stuff no one is the best actress. You know what I'm saying? It's like such a subjective thing that these awards are so just, you know, they're, 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 they they help us talk. We love them and we love to pit people against each other and talk, but you know, they're all incredibly talented people, obviously. Yeah. So blah, blah, blah. Um, all right. Uh, I've said enough. Let's move on directly to James St. James and number six. Number six. I watched uh, The Thing About Pam this week on NBC, which is a new true crime series mini series um that stars renee zellweger as the midwestern housewife turned killer pam huff it's a true story um she murdered her friend who had cancer this was in 2011 and this is a very dark comedic series um that's based on an episode of 48 hours yeah, okay. or Dateline. Oh, Dateline. Based on it, yeah, based on a Dateline episode. And it even has um uh, uh Keith, Peter, what is yeah Keith Morrison. Keith Morrison Keith Morrison. Yes, and he narrates it like it's a 48 hours or it's a dateline episode, but it he does it's very funny and very it's very weird and in sort of right like, it, it's, it's very meta, is what I'm trying to say. Totally. I, I guess. Um uh, Renee is pretty unrecognizable as a Midwestern woman, and she's always got her Slurpee in her hand, and she's oh, oh, gotcha, yeah, and oh, po- toss the pop in the back of the car, Bob, you know, <laughs> like that. Um, she's, um, but the idea, this is, this is, this is what I want to get at here, is that the idea that we, that it's a comedy about a true crime that just recently happened is not sitting well with critics and audiences and people that comes TV. from the news department of NBC. All that from is the, very yes, messy. They're, they're spinning a, a, a news story into a, a pitch black comedy. And it might've worked in the seventies, eighties or nineties, but I don't think in this climate that it works. And the idea, because the idea that, 
that there are, you know, actual victims of this woman. Their people died, and they died brutally at the hands of her death and at the at her hands. And you know, for the victims and the victims' family and the victims' friends, it's not a comedy. And so you have her making fun of of the situation, and the husband is a doofus, and that her Pam's husband is sort of creepy and we. I mean, like, and the police are inept, and it just doesn't feel like this is the time we need that. It seemed. Think? It seemed like I watched the first half of the first episode after I got home from the show last night, so I was like exhausted. Didn't get to finish it, but I got up to the juicy part, and. It seems like kind of a mix between a Dateline and like Desperate Housewives because it has like yeah. the over narration. Yeah. The, or someone yeah. was saying it was sort of like a Christmas story, but like, like what? Like, yeah. like why? Why? Or like on a on a corporate flowchart, it sounds great, right? Because it's like our news show, our guy, you know, yeah. our entertainment division. We, all we, of it's we got Renee Zellweger the, in a role in a role that you know should win her. Emmys, but the problem is it there's there's nobody to root for. There is not one person that is likable in the show. And I, you know, you know me, I've always got to have a cute guy, or I've always got to have something campy or some fashion moment or something. To, something to, shiny, to, and something shiny for my little magpie mind to to reach on to. And there's nothing in this that makes me want to. Keep She's also back. got some criticism for wearing a fat suit. And I just want to, I have a, I have a backup career in case all this goes wrong, which is I can be a fat coach. I can help actors because when, for instance, let me just give you, you know, to gain weight, should you choose pizza or ice cream? Blake? Both. Thank you. That's the answer. (laughs) Yes. yes. I know. (laughs) It's funny because I'm usually very anti-fat suit acting too. I, I don't like it at all. But this week, Colin Farrell is the penguin and he's in a fat suit and he uglifies himself. And he, I, I did not have a problem with Colin Farrell doing it probably because Colin is so handsome that nobody ever pays attention to his roles. The only thing I think is the redemption for maybe Renee about wearing a fat suit is because she did get fat and then skinny again for Bridget Jones that one time. Still get fat again. You've done but it before. Maybe she doesn't want to do it to her health. I just have to say, at a certain age, James, it's very hard to take the weight off. Well, but it's the same thing as, you know, gay actors playing gay roles. There are enough overweight actresses out there that give them a chance. Why do we have to have some skinny mini? Put I think the part should have gone to Nicole Kidman. Yeah. (laughs) And she should wear the sparkly pantsuit. (laughs) All right. Uh, So uh, it's called Something About Pam? The Thing About Pam. The thing about Pam. It also stars Judy Greer, right? Love Judy mm-hmm. Greer. Yeah, Great cast. Fantastic. Yes. Yeah. Something. The thing about Pam. Not highly recommended by James, but maybe if but give uh, it a like shot, give it a, give it a whirl and see if it's your thing. All right. All right. Let's move on now to number five. Number five. This is a lot like the last one. It's about a woman named Pam. Oh. And about how like this may not be the best idea. Um, I want to talk revisit Pam and Tommy. Mm-hmm. Yes. It just had it just had its finale. Um, I ate up the entire show. I loved it. But it is weird, and you have to think of how Pamela Anderson thinks. Like you have to be to open up this wound again for her. Right. She's not being paid for it. Right. And it's just like someone stole something from her and she was an innocent victim in all of it, which yeah. 
Seth, this was Seth Rogen's, you know, brainchild or whatever. And he played the construction worker that stole the tape from them in the first place. What I didn't like about this is like, I just watched the finale and you want to see like how they wrap up his story. Like, and I didn't like that he got like kind of a redeeming story. He was given a hero edit is what it happens. Right. Like he ends up apologizing to Tom or, or Pam and try, trying to, but then actually apologizes to like a Pam lookalike on Hollywood Boulevard to make himself feel better. And it just like mm-hmm. goes on to be like, he ended up moving to Canada and blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, why do we need this story told from his perspective of all people? Well, it, it is weird because poor Pam doesn't have agency in her own story. It sort of feels like, you know, and that this is something that happened to her that was very traumatizing to her. And she's been very vocal about that. But then, you know, it was it happened at a time when it hadn't really happened yet. And when it happened next to Paris and Kim, like they were able to have agency over it and to take control in a way that Pam did not. And Pam still does not. Right. And- well, the silver lining, I think, maybe, is that Pam just signed a deal with Netflix I saw to that. tell her own story through yeah. a documentary, I believe. Yeah. So we I also see that she also is on Broadway. She's playing Roxy Hart in right. the new. Um, well, I'm don't know. I'm sorry. I'm happy for. Her. I want her to to do. You know, I always am, am rooting for Pam. So we had the opportunity 15 years ago to work with Pam on a series for E called uh, Pam Girl on the Loose. And we fell in love with her. I'm out here uh, in the UK with Theron. And we were just reminiscing about it because everyone's talking about Pam right now. And how much fun he had. He was sort of the Pam Wrangler and got to sort of live the Malibu life and Jets. And we were we were, um, we were looking for a place to have high tea here. And he goes, Pam and I had high tea over, you know. So it's like <laughs> yeah. we're having a lot of uh, Pam memories and Pam flashbacks. And I have not seen that series. It ended up being an art piece. And I wonder how it's aged. I would love to uh i'd love for peak i know it was for e so yeah it would be on peacock peacock if you're listening put pam girl on the loose uh up for streaming because we'd love to yes. see it again uh let's uh take a little break uh when we come back we will continue our countdown of the top 10 things that made us go wow uh you're listening to uh the wow report and radio Andy. you're listening to world of wonders wow report things that make us go wow we are back it's the wow report on Radio Andy with uh, Tom Campbell, uh, James St. James, and Blake Jacobs, our fearless leader, Fenton, is away. And so we are we're holding down the ship. Um, and we are in the midst of our countdown, and we are at number four. Number four. Blake, I don't know if this is going to resonate with you. I don't think it will. Um, James, I'm reaching out to you through the, 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 through the things. Rest imperfection, Elsa Clinch. It's now, Blake. Do you have you ever heard of her? I haven't. What when CNN? When it's it's he's of an age. When it's C- true. It's true. But she CNN- is an icon beyond icon to a generation of young fashionistas and old aging fashionistas. I guess yes. When CNN first launched by Ted Turner, when it, it was really the first cable channel, right? And it had such a focused kind of thing. But Ted Turner was like, well, what? everyone was worried. Well, what happens when there's not breaking news? So he hired certain kind of department heads, features, like in a newspaper. And one of them was Elsa Clench. And she was the style editor for CNN. And so for 21 years, I think from 1980 to 2001, there was the Elsa Clench, it was the style report. And she had the sort of... Go ahead. She had, she had, she had the bob, 
right? And like very severe, like pre-Anna Wintour, Bob. Yes. And she would say, I'm Elsa Clench. This is CNN style. And everyone would do their Elsa Clench impersonations at the club every night. Uh-huh. I mean, they would see it. And she she had access to fashion shows. She had she introduced people to high fashion in a way that nobody had ever seen before. It was like you were right there. You were at the fashion shows. You were and she in- had great respect. They, they said she yeah. would be at the fashion shows in the 80s. She'd be the only television reporter there. Yes. And she, she was born in Australia. She was raised in England. She you know, had a very successful career in publishing in New York, working for Vogue and on Women's Daily. And there was a strike a publisher strike that lasted a couple of months in the 79. So she thought, I'll try this, you know, audition for this TV gig. And it ended up being iconic. And why I get kind of misty about it too, is that it's when, especially in the eighties, it's when CNN had so much promise, right? When it was about information and the idea that the idea, I know it's crazy, but cable, we we only had three or four channels and then we got cable and CNN was one of them. And we only got like five or 10 cable channels. But the idea is like you could do it. There was a channel for music. There was a channel for news. It was sort of this pure expression of different genres. See, at the same time, everything was converging together. And on MTV, you had art fashion and music colliding with cinematography yep. and then over there you had all of a sudden you had fashion and news colliding and it blew your mind yeah. that these two things could coexist at the same time and Elsa Clinch like I said she talked in this way that was just absolutely magnificent. Super distinctive she talked yeah. to all the greats she did a Naomi Campbell interview she did Mark Jacobs she talked to everybody and she had great and you'd sit in your it was Saturdays but I would see her and you'd be sitting and you'd see fashion show you'd see like high end Fashion shows. It was to me the, never, the beginning of the normalization or the you know of of the broadening of fashion for the masses. You know. Yeah, yeah. And so we we uh, owe her great debt. Um, rest in perfection, Elsa Clinch. All right, let's move on now to number three. Number three. I watched the Twenty Four Faces of Billy Milligan on Netflix, which is part of their Monster Inside series of uh of insane of insane criminals and Billy Milligan Tom I don't know if you remember this he was it was a big deal it was a very big deal he it's the true story this is a four part series it's a true story about uh the 1970s serial rapist Billy Milligan who raped four women on the campus of University of Ohio back in 1977 or something like that, I believe. Mm. And after he was captured, it was a huge like manhunt for him. And there were posters up everywhere. Have you seen this man? Blah, blah, blah. And after he was captured, his defense team realized there was something bizarre in his, in talking to him. And they brought in psychologists and prison psychologists and this and that. And they soon realized that he had DID, dissociative identity disorder, what was then known as multiple personality disorder. And this was around the time of Sybil. So it was a hot button issue. And the idea that there was a killer, that there was a criminal out there with multiple personalities was national news. And you see all this footage of, you know, Walter Cronkite or, you know, know, all the news people talking about Billy Milligan, Billy Milligan. Well, um, he had in, in the beginning, they think that he has 10 personalities. 
and one of them is this elderly British man, and one of them is this Hungarian woman who speaks Serbo-Croatian, and his mother's like, I don't know where Billy, Billy never met any Hungarians, <laughs> and so, and then the one is writing Arabic, and uh, and they take it to an Arabic expert, and they're like, "Yes, this is this is real," and um, it's very weird. And over the course of these episodes, you you wonder, you you know, that you have the prosecution and you have um, uh, his detractors and the victim's family who are all saying it's a con. He's he's not. He doesn't have multiple personalities. Well, they bring in the author of Sil Sybil. Who is an expert, and she is the 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 therapist who worked with the actual Sybil, and she that says would be that Joanne was, Woodward's part in Sybil. Go on. Mm -hmm. No, that would be Sally Fields. Joanne Woodward was Three Faces of Eve, darling. No, but Joanne Woodward played the psychologist in oh, Sybil. Oh, that's right. Oh my God! And here I am trying to shame you, and you are absolutely correct. Oh my God. Um, that felt good. Anyway, Go on. There's also all this footage where you see Billy on camera, and you see him turning from one to the other and his eyes roll back into his head and he sort of shakes a little bit and then all of a sudden he's an older woman and then he does it and then he's like this sort of uh, zombie like guy and then he just goes back and forth and it's very creepy to watch you literally you get goosebumps because you feel that there's something bizarre happening there and the two things that i have to mention just very quickly is that whenever i watch one of these shows i become convinced that i have whatever it is that's going I convinced that I'm multiple personality that James St. James and Jimmy Clark are completely separate. And I need to have some sort of uh, therapist fuse the two people together because Jimmy Clark's trauma is overwhelming James St. James's life. And so I'm like, can I become like very involved in these, these things? The other thing is that Billy Milligan looks exactly like my brother, like my older brother. And it's really creepy. They have the same exact eyes, that crazy. My brother had a very crazy look in his eyes. And it's very sad. But then everyone in the 70s sort of looked alike anyways, because they all had the same handlebar mustache and that awful hair and the bad skincare routine. So so it, it's not that far of a stretch to say that, that Billy Milligan and my brother. So not to be a dummy, it's a it's a documentary series it, or documentary yeah, special? It's a, it's a true crime documentary series on Netflix. It's called Monsters Inside. And I then see. they do different things. And this is the 24 faces of Billy Milligan. Now, Go, James Billy! James, I don't want to freak you out. And I don't want to say you have disassociated identity disorder. But you, but you, you know you're you know that you're on this show alone today, right? <laughs> right? You know, you know, Blake and Tom don't exist. <laughs> Who knew that I had a Tom Campbell personality? When you're when when you're not around, James, we're not around. <laughs> we're just for you. Uh, All right, um, that was so good. I want to move on to number two. Number two. Number two is me again. I'm sorry. I've got a lot on my mind this week. I've got a lot on my plate. We love it, James. We love it. You know, I I have some moral and ethical dilemmas that I want to present to you. I want you to you? help with these things that are keeping me awake at night. You brought them to the right people at the right time in the right place, James. Continue. Well, I'm unfortunately, I was hoping to get Fenton here because, Tom, you and Fenton are at opposite ends of the moral spectrum. Uh, <laughs> I hate to think what end I'm at. Oh no! You, my dear, uh, have a very strict sense of ethics, but 
who aren't judgmental, which is very strange. You are moral, but not judgmental, which makes it speaks very highly to your character. I will say that about you. Fenton, on the other hand, is a very perky anarchist who has a very laissez-faire attitude when it comes to morals. So, (laughs) Blake, you have to be Fenton in this case. because It's great to see James. Everyone listening, you're listening to James's last report here at the Wire Report. (laughs) It's a historic moment. Continue. But now the first one is about COVID. And the thing is, now, a couple months ago, I talked to you about, on General Hospital, there were two right-wing actors, Ingo Rademacher and Steve Burton, who were let go from the show because they refused to get vaccinated. And they were anti-mask, anti-vax, and they would just refuse, and they were, they were let go. Now, at the same time, a lot of healthcare workers were anti-vax, and they were fired, and a lot of policemen. Remember that that was a big uh, yep. scandal and a big issue as well. A lot of people were anti-vax and anti-mask, and they were let go of their jobs. Now, this week, all across the nation has started lifting anti-vax mandates and, anti- and anti-masking rules uh, in restaurants, uh, theaters. When you, go to, when you go to restaurants, they don't ask you to see your anti-vax card anymore. When you go to gyms, they don't ask anymore. A lot of studios are not doing it anymore. So do you rehire Ingo and Steve? Do you rehire all the policemen? Do you rehire all the people that formerly you let go because they wouldn't get vaccinated? And now that, that you don't need the vaccination mandates, do, you, do they get their jobs back? Well, that is an excellent question and not easy to answer, I think, because there, you know, the, it's the idea of like what's best for public safety and people were fighting the vaccinations. I'd like to think, I don't know if it's the truth, but I'd like to think that the fact that so many people did get forced, some many volunteered, some got forced to get vaccinations, is the reason that we're having a little bit of a respite now. I also am concerned, as you are, James, like we're seeing this cyclically, like like when will it come back? How strong will it come back? By the way, and, and that's, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but like that's what we've been told. Bad, re- replicate, you know, like it's going to come in waves. We, we just know that. And, and so the fact, I don't think it's over. Um, I don't have an answer for that. I think... I think I think people can be forgiven and maybe hired someplace else. Well, um, that's because the, the thing is, they did sort of they they wouldn't follow the rules. Is one of the you know is why they were fired. Yeah, and they weren't concerned about their fellow coworkers. Yes, that's a problem. So it doesn't mean they have to be exiled to an island, right. but it might mean that different times will allow for them to make uh, their way back in. Or may, I don't know what, what hospitals are doing about vaccinations, for instance. I don't know. And I I think the mass thing's down is oh, you're saying that people don't have to show their vaccination card. So, it's, yeah, so you yeah. can sort of just get away with whatever now. Yeah. So now the second moral dilemma here, and I know we're, we are way over here, but this one is, is an interesting one as well. I don't know if you've been following Maxim Chermovsky from Dancing with the Stars. He is... Uh, the gentleman, he's a star of Dancing with the Stars. He was in the Ukraine. He's Ukrainian born, and now he has a dual citizenship, and he's married, and he has a child here, and he's on Dancing with the Stars here. So he was in the Ukraine filming a reality series when the war broke out, and he left immediately. His producer said, we got you out, get on the train, go, blah, blah, blah. The, the day that it happens, and he gets on the train, and he is the only man on the train of a thousand women and children. 
and he real and they were all looking at him like what are what the, what what are you doing and uh every man in the ukraine from age 16 to 60 is is in the is in the war and they are there and they are not allowed to leave he left and the international twitter verse is calling him a coward and mm-hmm. saying it is akin to the people on the titanic the titanic who dressed in women's drag to get on the lifeboats like the, he said well, he says that he went his first duty is to his child and to his wife and so he went back to for his child and his wife and he he says that he feels shame about what he did but that he he so is your first allegiance to your country or your family war is the worst thing that happens to man and yet we have them over and over again and they cause people to make incredibly difficult choices. Yeah. And so I will not, you know, I, I don't think, I think you're, I think it's beautiful to bring this up, but I, I don't want to in any, I don't want to Twitter mob this guy in my own mind because I don't know what I would do, you know, and you know, aren't we equal now and women and men are equal and why? Cause, cause you know, all of a sudden women and children first make sense right in a world, but I also, you know, support and, and there's women fighting. I, I um, you know, here's someone who's left his country, who lives a different life in a different part of the country. He goes back. He's stuck there. Is he supposed to fight? I don't know. I don't know. I, I, yeah. it, it's and, his and personal choice. The, the fact that he he's done since then, he's gone on Tamron Hall. He's gone on Good Morning America. He's gone on the radio. And he keeps pleading his story, his case. Mm. And it sort of digs him in a hole every single time. He's sort of inviting people to call him a coward every, every single time he opens his yeah, mouth. Yeah, I, I don't like, know why people think? feel the need to... I just think people, you know, I find from drag race, which is a very yeah. insignificant yeah. thing, but 50% of the world hates it, every decision, and 50% of the world loves every decision. I feel like that's the world we live in. And yeah. and probably the best way to get ahead, to get by, I don't know, or the way I'm trying, is just to not engage and not to invite people, you know, live your life, yeah. be, do what you got to do. I guess what, what but my point is, is that I think that that you would think that when destiny calls, that when history happens, that you would rise to the occasion and do the right thing. But we don't know what you would do. And would I, I, I might be the coward that runs and hides. But and- we romanticize war in movies mm-hmm. and heroes and, and, and superhero things. <sighs> And why should he? Why? Why we don't he like die? to get our feet wet. We don't like to have to wait for a bus. We don't want to walk fifteen minutes to a bus to get on another bus to get home. Well, or, we won't even wear masks to stop a pandemic, for Christ's sake. I can't. You know? I God bless everyone. I, I just that's a really you brought a very good point. I, I'm not in the U.S. I'm not watching TV. I wasn't as aware of that story. But uh, Blake, what would you do? Um, I don't know. I have no idea. Huh. <laughs> okay. Just it's hard. Exactly. No, until you're in that situation, I don't think you can. Yeah. I don't think you can boast about what you do. I don't think you. I don't think you'd know until that moment. And I think war makes heroes and cowards out of everyone. And I don't think there's a big difference between. Sometimes you're you're in the right place at the right time, wrong time. I don't know. Yeah. War is so awful, so awful. I and mean, that's such a stupid thing to say, but it is. It's just the worst condition. You know, nothing good comes from it. You always wonder, like, what if we didn't? Anyway, I won't go there. Um, okay. Thank you, James, for uh, moral moral court with Judge James St. James here on the Wow Report. There's no one uh, more qualified. <laughs> no one. No one. 
Jerry Springer just got his show got canceled. Judy's got renewed, and James St. James is shopping his pilot. Well, <laughs> James. Um, Ethical dilemma with James St. James. <laughs> um, we'll be right back as we reveal the number one thing this week that made us go wow. This is the uh, Wow Report on Radio Andy. You're listening to World of Wonders Wow Report. Things that make us go wow. Welcome back to the Wow Report. It's Tom Campbell with James St. James, Blake Jacobs, uh, and we are at the point in our countdown that everyone waits for. Number one. Number one. Um, we got off on a, a, a Ukraine uh, kind of chit-chat, and I think, James, you uh, have a little bit more to say about that. Well, I do. You know, um, you know, the images that have been coming out of Ukraine are increasingly bleak, and upsetting and the news at least at cnn and nbc and abc and msnbc um has been pretty upfront about the images that you're about to see you know there are trigger warnings and they say you know that this is this is very hard to look at but at the same time they're saying we're showing this because it's important that you see what is happening in the Ukraine and you see the bombing of the maternity hospital that happened this week and the images coming out of that, which are just, <laughs> the, there's a, a, an image of a pregnant woman and she's, you know, bloody. There's the, the thousands of the refugees at the train stations that you keep seeing. There's the, the civilian family that was fleeing their home and they were bombed and you see them dead on the streets and these these images of war that are so hard to look at but you have you can't bury your head in the sand and it's just like with you know the holocaust uh, or vietnam or any of these things that we need it, it it's so the things that are happening are so horrific but we all need to be in tune to what is what is going on and it feels hopeless and helpless but uh it's also sort of a turning point in our lives, I think. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, what was it during Vietnam? They used to have the, the death count every night on the news. And they say that's, you know, that, and you'd see the coffins coming off the planes and, and they nobody had ever part, seen anything like that before. Yeah. Right, and, then, and that's part of what stopped. And then there was some study done in the government during like the Gulf War or whatever, where it's like, how many people, you know, can die before people, you know, it was like one of those polls, like how many people can die before people care. And then we stop seeing those coffins in, in future wars. And the wars are now like drone strikes in the middle of the night. And they're in countries that we as Americans generally are kind of disassociated from. And so it's people we don't know, quote unquote, people that aren't like us, quote unquote. And what's, but think about Ukraine, the Ukraine, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's hard, you know, there's, there's, there's war and poverty and stuff happening all over the earth as we speak. And I'm not informed enough to talk about it, but Ukraine is just such a dire situation and seeing it, I think yeah, it helps people it, it understand helps. the price of war, what a horrible thing, and what can we do to stop it? It's such a, I, I wish there was an easy solution. God, darn yeah. it. Yeah. Can we just right. end with the message, fuck Putin? Just fuck Putin. Fuck Putin, yeah. man. Well, we'll see. All right, thoughts and prayers um, to the Ukrainian people. And uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, Fenton will be back next week to join us. James, Blake, I adore you both. Um, and uh, until uh, next time, everybody go out and do something that makes the world go wow. wow.